some folks were like, you know, she's so brilliant. Why isn't she running the country? And it's like, is that all that brilliant people are allowed to do? All brilliant people must go and be prime minister at once. No, you know, if you're brilliant, there are a lot of different things that you can apply yourself to. For me, success is knowing that I have left things differently from how I met them. But I think the privilege of running an organisation like Stemets and having had 50,000 young people go through our programmes over the last 10 years means that, you know, we do get these messages through from time to time, in fact, fairly regularly now, where it's like, you know, now I'm doing this and actually, do you want to come to my company so that I can do the same thing that you did for me for the next generation? Welcome to the Success and Ideas podcast. I'm Richard Myron. As you know, if you've heard previous episodes, this is the series where I grapple with success. How is it defined and how is it achieved? Is it down to ideas, hard work, luck or something else? I don't have the answers, but my guests certainly have the experience to address these questions and provide some insights. Dr. Amory Imaphidon is more than qualified to help with that. She's been called a child prodigy after passing her A-level computing at just 11 years of age something that still eludes me to this day. She also became one of the youngest people to receive a master's degree in maths and computing from Oxford University. Her career has been distinguished by the young age at which she's made her mark. In 2013, at the age of 23, she was named Young IT Professional of the Year and just four years later was the youngest scientist ever to get an MBE. Alongside high-flying jobs with major financial institutions and tech organisations, Anne-Marie founded Stemets in 2013. It's an organisation that aims to practically assist young women and girls who want to work and, and succeed in science, technology, engineering and maths. Anne-Marie, welcome, first of all. welcome. Thanks for having me, Richard. I need to take a, a moment to appreciate the scale of your achievement uh, but also um, the scale of those achievements at such a young age. I, I obs- have observed that that sometimes people who are called child prodigies, it's almost like a curse. And there's this thing, you know, these people, they shine bright very young and it all becomes too much. I mean, it doesn't look like it's been a curse for you, but was it a burden to have succeeded so young in certain things? Not really. Um, It's ended up being a privilege, actually, because it means that there's a lot of things that I had, a lot of experiences that I had, a lot of positive reinforcements that I had during my formative years, which many, many people don't have, right? Haven't had the privilege of having those. And then the the confidence as a result of having those formative experiences, which is a a big reason why I run Stemets. But I think for me, it, it was, I wasn't doing it like it was a very personal reason. It was a very internal reason, actually, the reason why I was, I was studying all these things and following them all along. It was because I just wanted to understand how things worked. So for me, that was always it. It was like, how does that work? Like, why does that work that way? Okay, and now that we know that, what? how more can we, how can we apply this knowledge? Where does this, where can this be useful? Where do we use this? If, that, if I know that's how that VCR player works or if I know that's how that part of the computer works. So for me, it's not been a curse. It's ended up being a privilege that, you know, I, I had that curiosity. I, it was indulged. I was given the opportunities that aligned with that. And so now there are certain things that and certain spaces that I go into that I have a really deep rooted internal confidence. And there's expectations that people also have on me. And so then I end up not fighting with a lot of the things that others maybe in the, in the same spaces that I work in and operate in might end up internally fighting with. 
So am I right in thinking that you sort of took apart household appliances and stuff like that? I did, yeah. <laughs> if anyone remembers, I mean, I always say the VCR player and, and it's really funny because, you know, if I'm in a school and I say VCR player, none of them know what I'm talking about other than the teachers. So I always have to say kind of VCRs before we had DVDs, which we had before Blu-ray, which we had before Netflix. But <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember you, you had the cassette tapes, right? Video yeah, cassette yeah. tape. And we used to have loads of them at home. And some of them were like Lion King, other ones were like family, whatever that had gone on in other countries that had been sent for us to watch and enjoy. And so I remember seeing the black rectangular cassette tape going into a bigger VCR player and then Timon and Pumbaa showing up on the TV and being like, how on earth? Like, where did they? I didn't put Timon and Pumbaa in. How did they come out? And so you could take apart, take apart a cassette tape. Of course, you've just got lots of tape and you can't see Timon and Pumbaa really in that. And so I went for the VCR player. And, you know, it's like... How did that go down at home? I mean, my dad didn't kill me. He almost did, but he didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> it was, it was being, several things. Could you put it back together? <laughs> Well, the VCR player at a point I did no. I mean, I did. I built a computer at one point, so that was something that I did end up putting back together. But I think, I think it's it, there's so much. Like life is so interesting. If you just try and like understand things, pick like go behind them. There's lots of cool things around you that kind of ends up being every day and ends up being normal. That I was I was a pen doctor in my primary school. If anyone had a pen that broken because I'd taken apart so many, I kind of oh. knew how to put them all back together again. So that was the thing. It becomes useful, right? Just knowing how things work. Um, so there, that was my thing. But but, but I'm, I'm just curious, you know, as the kid who was doing these things, taking apart, putting together people's pens and, and, and VCRs and other household appliances, um, did that mean that you weren't also the kid who was socialising with other children your age outside school because you were sort of off in your own world? No. No, not not entirely. So I I'm the eldest of five, which means by default there are a lot of people that I had to socialise with. Um, we're British Nigerian, and Nigerians love a good party, <laughs> love having people around. We're in church all the time, so there was Sunday school. There was a lot. So I wasn't I wasn't um, no I wasn't socially. I'm still not socially withdrawn really, although. I do always say my goal in life is to become a hermit. It would be nice to just stay at home and not have to leave the house again, which is, you know, the, my word for 2021. No, my word for 2020 was actually JOMO, joy of missing out. I wanted to just stay at home. And we all know how that how that worked out. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was all my fault. I don't want to go back folks. there. <laughs> no. Um, so, I, so I like being at home. I like being comfortable. But no, I was incredibly social. And I think that ended up, that probably actually was how I ended up doing the, that early GCSE because I'm very social. And so if we're in maths class and you're saying what you said in year two, that you repeated again in year three, that you repeated again in year four, because that's the way curriculum works, that's the way learning works, that's where schooling is, um, I was I would become class clown because I already know what you're going to say. So I'm going to sit here and try and make somebody laugh or try and make myself laugh or entertain somebody else in the room. Um, and then be kind of pulled up by the teacher and what did I just say and then end up saying it back to them better than they delivered it initially and that kind of thing I think wore thin eventually and so it was like okay we have to give her something else to you know keep her occupied otherwise you know there's she's only one in a class of 30 and we actually need to make sure that other people are, are hearing what they need to hear for the third time because that's what they need so it ended up playing out that way rather than it being it was just me and the numbers and I didn't talk to anybody because of the, me and the numbers how much was there an encouragement from um, your parents to move as quickly as you did, as it were, academically and to succeed? 
So I think there was a lot of support from them. I think, to their credit, there are a lot of things I ended up doing that other people might have seen as scary. I mean, even taking part of the VCR player, I, there are children I know who I would never give them my phone because I'm like, if you break that, I'm going to not like you very much anymore. And so I think credit to my parents that they gave us that kind of, the right kind of environment for us to explore and try things that maybe looked a little bit left field. But I think I always say this, we still have this now. You can't kind of force me to do anything I don't want to do. And so it wasn't that it came from them. It was more, you know, she's enjoying this and this is something she's good at and this is going to keep her occupied. Let's keep riding this and let's see where it ends up. And and so that was the environment that I had. And so it was parents, it was teachers, it was, I had, a, I had support in lots of different places and obviously had opportunities that then came up as a result of that. Now, you went to work for some very large companies, you know, the Goldman Sachs and, and Deutsche Bank and, and, and others. Um, but you decided in a way, judging by what I can see as the traje- trajectory of your career, to step aside from that in a way that would have offered a very safe and a healthy and prosperous career. What what made you go, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to do that? So I really, really enjoyed my job, actually. Really enjoyed what I was doing. I enjoyed it so much that um, when I started Stemets and we started hiring people, it was part of everybody's onboarding chat. It was the last thing on the list of things that we run through. And it'd be like, Amory's never going to go full-time on Stemets. She loves her job too much. And actually, how can I be someone running an organization like this and not have a job myself in kind of the main part of industry? So for me, um, it actually ended up coming down to there are only 24 hours in a day and there are only seven days in a week. Um, and I need to sleep sometimes. And so I was I was effectively running Stemetsi organization alongside having a full-time role um, at one of those organizations. And it, it became kind of clear, actually, that the upside in those organizations, yeah, it's really clear to see what that was. But actually striking out and being at Stemetsi full-time, the upside there was going to be much greater in terms of the scale of impact that I could have, in terms of you know, the, what we're trying to do and the influence that that, that that could have and that could wield over the future and what happens next and innovation as a whole. And so me doing that job in that organization, in that very narrow space, it, it kind of ended up being a no-brainer that, hey, if I need to sleep and one thing needs to win out over the other, Stemets is actually the thing that really is going to be, you know, it's, it's a higher, it's a bigger purpose, it's a bigger upside. But, you know, I'd, I'd say I've done all right out of that decision. I mean, it looks to me like you've done all right. It clearly hasn't, it hasn't sort of burnt itself out. Or... No, nine years later. I mean, we're 10 next year and it's been 10 years and, you know, more than 50,000 young people and everything else that I'm, you know, from the podcast to the books to the countdown to, like, there's a lot of things I've ended up doing, which I think if I was still sat there at my desk, not too far actually from where Smith's office is now, I don't, some, something says that I don't think a lot of those opportunities would have come my way, right? So with 10 years anniversary coming up, what would you see as the greatest achievement of Stemets to date? So I think our greatest achievement, and this links back to kind of my early question about formative experiences, we work with young people, girls, young non-binary people aged from five up to 25. And I know the experience, I know the importance of having really positive STEM and STEAM, so including arts, formative experiences um, and having really positive ones, really strong ones um, and having those experiences early on. And so I think the biggest achievement that we've got today or that I feel we've got today is um, it's always been said, oh, Amory, you're the wunderkind, Amory, you're the child prodigy, Amory, you're this, Amory, you're that, because I did all these exams when I was young. And I've always said, yeah, but given the opportunity, a lot more people could have done that. They just didn't have the opportunity. And so we run every half term, every school break, we run um, these Stemets Certification Academies. 
And we've had hundreds of them go through and do this since 2019. And so for me, that's really fulfilling to see that full circle kind of come back and be a, be a reality for so many young people and give them that positive formative experience with STEM. Hi, it's Richard here. Sorry for the interruption. I'll keep this quick. This production's made by Earshot Strategies, a podcast company founded in 2017 by me. I'm passionate about podcasts, which is why I set up Earshot. It helps a range of clients make the most of the wonderful medium of audio. We've worked with huge multinational companies like Airbus, international organizations, as well as universities, think tanks, publishers, nonprofits, and many, many others. We work with them from idea to ear, from providing expert advice on changing an existing podcast or launching a new series, through to training, production and promotion. To see and hear more about what we do, visit our website, www.earshotstrategies.com. Now, with no further interruptions, back to the podcast. The fact that still only, and I read this statistic earlier, 19% of people working in tech are female. The fact that you were, I think, uh, one of three women amid 70 on your university course. Yeah. Um, Now you can ascribe lots of reasons for this you know is it systemic is there a degree of prejudice against choosing women is it women not choosing themselves or pushing themselves forward um is it all of the above i'm 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 curious to know what you think considering that women are overrepresented in higher higher education that yeah 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 why it is that women are so markedly underrepresented in this sector so there's a number of things, and I think it's all of what is all of the above, right? All of what you said, but I think all of it can be traced back to what we call our social norm, and this idea of a technical woman, and it's something that we've we've had technical women for for as long as we've had technology, we've had technical women, right? So whether it's Marie Sophie Germain in the 1700s, who did a lot of elasticity and string theory, and is part of the reason why the Alpha Tower is still standing today, or whether it's uh, Dr. Gladys West with the Global Positioning System, who, you know, did the maths with the satellites to know why, to help us know that the blue dots is something we can follow when we're trying to do navigation, whether it's um, Stephanie Kwolek, who's the reason that we have Kevlar, and uh, that's what makes Bulletproof Fest Bulletproof. So we've had quite a rich her history across these technical fields. History, I like that. But has been obscured, has been erased um, proactively, actually, for, for a while, because it doesn't fit with that narrative that we have necessarily wanted to lean into as a society. And so when you don't know what that looks like, then how is that something that you can see for yourself, let's say, if you're a young woman or young non-binary person coming up? But even more so, if you're working in the industry, if that's not what success looks like, then why are you going to hire that? There's a photo, actually, that I show quite a lot um, when I do my talks of a science display in the nearest girls' comprehensive, girls' state school to where I grew up. And they've got this wall that they've covered of scientists. And every single one, as you look across this East London girls' school comp, what they've come out with as as their definition of scientists, every single one of them is dead. Every single one of them is white. Mm. Every single one of them is male. Every single one of them has a beard. Mm. And if that's what it is to be a scientist, you have to be dead and male and white and have a beard. Why would you feel comfortable going to study physics at a particular university if that's all that gets reflected back at you and that's what success looks like something that you can never be and so I think that's what then ends up getting in the way 
the whole way, the whole way through. And until we're able to open up that narrative and share more of that history and talk more, not just about the history, but what's happening now and who's, you know, creating and innovating now, we're not going to be able to jump past this because as humans, we pattern match, right? As humans, we we try and take, uh, you know, historic information and use that to make informed decisions going forward. How much for you is success about in a way, I mean, you, you don't come across as a shy person. You've done the podcast. You're now on telly. How much of success is about projecting uh, success oh. and being self-confident? And because I've also heard it said, you know, men are sort of pre-programmed to go in there with an expectation of success in a, in a business environment. And women are often more, in a way, pre-programmed to be more doubtful or to see their own, what they don't have rather than what they do. So, you know, yeah. looking at you, you know, you, you know, you're overbrimming with 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 confidence, with positivity and so on. And that to me seems to me quite an important precursor for success. Yeah. So I think and I think this is why I labor the point so much of the formative experiences. So I think, and you know, of course, we can't generalize across genders and the rest of it. But I think there is something about conditioning and where some people are punished for making mistakes and some people are punished for having failures. Others are allowed to fail up. And I think this is something we see quite a lot across the genders. I was at dinner yesterday, actually, with a couple of female entrepreneurs, and we were talking about this and even just how the failures of female entrepreneurs are covered in the media versus how the failures of male entrepreneurs are covered or not even covered, right? Mm -hmm. And the framing of even their success, how, how certain people's success is even framed often as a negative, you know, I can't believe she's buying those shoes or, you know, whatever else it might be. And, you know, these are things that we have in in really big newspapers actually going into very getting very personal about you know women's success and not really actually ever going to that level when we talk about the success of men and so I think there's quite a lot of that that comes to play but I think the other thing we have to remember and which I kind of labored yesterday at dinner as well is we have to allow folks to have different versions of success and I think that's the other thing that if we that we end up not doing and so then that gets in the way of again people being able to feel successful right so if you know what does what does that mean there are different types of excellence there are different forms of success you asked me a question earlier about you know i could be earning the big bunks in the bank it's like okay cool but i could also be doing the big things at STEMETs. um it came up a lot actually with countdown as well some folks were like you know she's so brilliant why isn't she running the country and it's like is that all that brilliant people are allowed to do all brilliant people must go and be prime minister at once no, you know, if you're brilliant, there are a lot of different things that you can apply yourself to. And so I think that's the other thing as well. It's it's having the formative experiences and not having that conditioning to say that failures are bad or you must be perfect or you're a woman and so this is what's expected. But it's also about allowing folks to say, this is what success looks like for me. And it might be that success means I don't have to leave my house every day. It might be the success is I have the big bucks or it might be the success is I know I've definitely left the world in a different way to how I met it there can be a multiplicity of success rather than there just being one definition I also think that I find the word failure terribly judgmental uh, I mean if for the sake of argument I started you know this company having been worked in organizations five years ago and if it didn't succeed I'm not sure that I would necessarily see that as failure that's such a, it almost becomes the mark of cane on your forehead when someone says failure and therefore success is also painted as someone driving along in a big car or whatever I think that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what I mean we've got in our own minds I think slightly what versions of what both those things constitute and and how they're po how they're polar opposites and again they shouldn't be like success failure is a huge part of success humongous you have to make those you have to break those eggs to make to you know be able to create that omelette and I think especially when you look at technology 
we fail all the time with technology. That's why there's a new version of Facebook out every two weeks. You know, if they did it right and they did it perfectly, then it would have been done, right? But we're constantly iterating, doubling down, learning, testing, coming back and, and rebounding. And I think that's something I often say to folks and audiences is you have to give yourself you know, space to make those failures. Call it a series of experiments, right? If you know what the answer is going to be, it's not really an experiment, is it? So you do the experiment. It went well or it didn't. You learn from it and you come back again. And actually, I end up talking about mistakes and people making better mistakes. Well, make good mistakes. Make really make excellent mistakes, right? Because that's where the real learning happens. So I've got to ask you, what's your best mistake? I make them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like saying who's your favourite child. You can't say your favourite child. I don't know if I can say my best mistake. Um, I think I think it's a it's a it's such an interesting one to reflect on. But for me, it's all. The best mistake is the one you learn the most from, right? And I'm constantly learning. So there's all there's all kinds of things that it's like, oh, okay, so that's how that should have been. But it's on a daily basis from the way we invoice things to the way we select members of the team to the way we set up, the way we do our workflows and our processes to the way that I decide which clients and partners to work with and go and speak to with all the D&I work that I'm doing outside of Stemets to, you know, on particular boards. There's, all, there's mistakes that are made all the time, right? But it, if you learn from it, then it kind of doesn't matter, really you're um 32 years old right so yeah in my book that's young um <laughs> for me it's not i work with five-year-olds but yeah <laughs> um i either feel very young or very old but nothing ever in between um <laughs> but where do you see yourself in 10 years or, or 15 years time who knows i think on a horizon of three years i honestly i wouldn't have guessed i'd be here in 10, 10 years ago I mean, I didn't know things like these were, you know, uh, possible, like what I do now. I, to even describe what I do now, it, also, it always takes me ages, right? So I have no idea. I don't have a master plan, even though it looks like I do. I'm iterative with it. There we go. Amory, finally, let me ask you, what is your personal definition, your personal definition of success? Oh, very, very, very personally, my definition of success is that I don't have to leave the house in the morning if I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. The days when it's like, do you know what? I wanted to leave today and I've left. That's fine. The days when I didn't want to leave today and I have to drag myself to this whatever in the middle of nowhere and do the whatever and say the thing. I'm like, yeah, this is not like if I was truly successful, I wouldn't be, have to be here and I wouldn't have to leave. And then for me, that's it. That's when I know I'm, I'm, I've been successful. I mean, the other thing I will say, if I want to be a little bit, if I want to give the more you know, magnanimous side of it or altruistic end of it is for me, success is knowing that I have left things differently from how I met them. But I think the privilege of running an organization like Stemets and having had 50,000 young people go through our programs over the last 10 years means that, you know, we do get these messages through. And so I know we've already been successful in quite a lot of, of lives of young people that we've worked with. So that's okay. And so, yeah, technically, if I did want to stay at home tomorrow, I know I could do it basically on the basis of those, of those case studies. It's good. It's good. Take that. <laughs> Anne-Marie Maffedon, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Richard. So that was the wonderful and energetic Amory Imaphidon. Uh, and she's in a rush. She's in a rush to make sure that young women, girls, non-binary people succeed in the tech sector. Uh, I get the impression that she's never been one for walking, that she's always, since young age, been one for running to achieve her objectives. And she says, 
she doesn't have a long-term plan. The way I see it is that she may not have a long-term plan, but what she's doing is she's aiming to succeed in stages. And what she's ultimately aiming for is the obsolescence of stemets, that it's no longer needed so that women, girls, non-binary people are properly represented in the tech sector. And I wouldn't bet against her in succeeding in that objective. If you've enjoyed this episode, please go and listen to some of the other wonderful interviews in this latest season. And do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help also if you rate and review us as well. I'm Richard Myron. The producer on this episode of the Success and Ideas podcast is Kit Critchley. And this has been an Earshot Strategies production. All the best. All the best.